Give us everything, right? I mean, man, you, you walk with the Lord, you're having hard days and everything, and you're struggling. And then, man, my one, one of my kids comes out in the morning. You know, Joe, we have these different rituals we do, and all my kids, they'll take it. If you've ever been in my house, there'll be a moment, if it's in the morning, where one of my kids, one after the other, I has, it takes a long time, I have five, and, um, but only four can do this now. And they, they just jump right in my lap, like if I'm in my office, and they just, they don't say nothing. They just, they just know, like, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to stop because I'm here. And I know you love me more than whatever you're doing, so let's just hang out. And it is kind of just, hi, Dad. And I'm just like, and just like that, all the drama, it's like the Lord gives you perspective like, oh, this is what matters. You know, I was caught up in this issue, and this person made me feel like this. Or I, and, man, the Lord has blessed me with little image bearers that I get to point toward Christ. Wow. Why am I tripping? I'm blessed. Perspective is everything, guys. Have perspective as we go into word today. Um, real excited, speaking of perspective, we are entering a book of Proverbs. With all your heart and strength. I like that little part. I like when April, she steps out into it too, like that. You know what I'm saying? But, sorry. The brother's going to be in the mirror posing like that, you know. But, um, so, so we are starting a book of Proverbs today. Um, today, uh, what we're going to talk about, and, and usually we do this, so you at Mac Average um, are used to this. I'll try usually to, with this, stick in some verses um, that we can exit, that we can exposit, that we can uh, really understand God's word in the beginning of whatever book we're doing. But I'm realizing it gets crazy. And so what I'm going to do today is not try to cram everything in. I'm going to just talk about simply us really wrestling with a framework uh, for kingdom expansion uh, because that's going to help us understand the book of Proverbs and for that matter, the canon of the Bible, of what's going on. And I think that's very important because if we, don't, if we don't spend time actually asking ourselves what are we about to do in Proverbs, what, what ends up happening is you begin to look at Proverbs and it becomes a bunch of pithy sayings and, and things you can do this and you can do that, and we kind of miss the whole point of the book. Uh, so, so this is not the point of Proverbs. It's not a framework for kingdom expansion, uh, but that's what we're going to be talking about today because hopefully... By looking at that framework, by discussing that framework, it will now help us understand why we need and why, why the Lord was gracious to even put a, put a book like Proverbs in the Bible. And then we're going to spend a, a, a considerable amount of time in Proverbs, <laughs> as you know how we do. And so, uh, but we're excited, right, about that. We'll be in Proverbs for about a year, I'm thinking. We'll see. But uh, praise them. Yeah. All right. So, uh, and, what, and, and at MacAv, uh, what we do is we go through books of the Bible. I always say that because left into my own sinfulness, I want to stay in those areas that are comfortable. But what I love about just going through books of the Bible is that hopefully by God's grace, we'll get the whole counsel of God. Um, also, we'll have to hit those challenging passages. And so we just let come what may. And then we dive in as a family, you know, argue, fight it out. And then we um, walk with the Lord and hopefully become more wiser in our expression of worship. So. Um, this, this jump right into a uh, framework piece, okay, guys? Now, uh, I'm going to try and, s- you, you got to stick with me here because we're going to be doing a lot of explanation. So you, you, I want you to, uh, this is going to be a lot. So I just want you to, to follow me, ask questions at MacAv. We ask questions. Um, if they can edify the body, uh, please feel free to do that. And um, if you open up your programs, you'll see that you can write down notes, okay? And also, we try to have these notes online for people, so um, keep that in mind as you're listening as well. Again, a framework for, uh, for, for why we do kingdom expansion, because a lot of times, uh, I don't know about you, but me, you know, growing up as a believer in my, in my early 20s, um, walking with the Lord, reading my Bible, uh, uh, asking the Lord to give me the grace to be holy and all that stuff, but I, but I felt like sometimes I didn't know why I was doing it, and, and I, I found myself knowing like, like what not to do, 
and what to do, but not necessarily knowing why. And, and, and for a while, I was okay with that. You know, I knew Jesus died and rose, so that was enough for me. But it seemed like at some point, um, I feel like at some point as we grow in our Christian maturity, we got to continue to challenge ourselves to ask some of those questions because those questions will really, um, I think that it'll, 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 it'll accent our worship to the Lord when we're starting to understand the whys behind why we live and have our being. Okay? So that's our attempt today. Let's jump right in. Okay, um, we're going to start with the framework for kingdom expansion. I want to propose uh, the framework for kingdom expansion uh, comes because we have this issue thing called the creation mandate, all right? The creation mandate, uh, some people, you know, really cool churches calls it the cultural mandate. I like to stick with the creation mandate because it's what it seems to be talking about, and I'm proposing that creation and culture have some different nuances. Um, when we look at uh, this creation mandate, I'm going to explain what I mean by that or what I mean, it's, not, it's as if I invented it. I mean, theologians, you know, way before us uh, were talking about creation mandate. Uh, but the reason why it came to being is when you look at verse 27 and 28. Notice in Genesis, here's what's happening. The scriptures read, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, look what he says to them. So, he, so this is before the fall. Here's, here's basically uh, the father giving the description of what, of what it looks like to, to bear, God's, bear God's image well. And he says it to individuals who are going to bear his image well because there's no fall. So in their, per, in their perfectness, as it were, he's like, here's what I want you to do. Okay, this is what he does. He says, I want you to be fruitful and increase in number. Okay, the whole reality of uh, fill the earth and subdue it. So you have the sense of pro creation, make, so you, you want you to be fruitful. I want you to make more image bearers because that's the beauty of, of what God has done in creation is he created all these things to bring in honor and glory. But what he does, he creates you and me as people. Um, and he, we're the apex of his creation. We're not the only piece of his creation, but we are the apex. And what he says is the one of the, main, the ways you bring me glory is when you bear my image, is when you reflect me to myself. And so what I want you to do is because I'm so cool, this is God speaking, I want to have more things and more people reflecting my image. So now when I walk around, I just see me all over the place, and that makes me happy because I'm so cool. That's kind of God's disposition. So he says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to fill the earth with people who remind myself of me, and then I want you to subdue it uh, in the sense of uh, and, and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So, so then he tells us he wants, us to, he wants us to rule. So he wants us to procreate, but then be stewards. Okay, he's given us this world, and he says, this is the world I've given you. I want you to treat it like I would. So in a nutshell, our job is to create like God and to care for creation as he would. Okay, this is very important as we continue, as we go through this. So I want you to get this, all right, guys? All right, so God says, hey, here's what I, here's what I want you to be about. I want you to create like me, and you'll be able to because there's no fall, and I want you to care like I care. And I want to propose we care by taking care of his things and ruling over his things, okay? And so in essence, as we rule, as we are in control of those things, he is the normal disposition and outflow of that as we take care of it, okay? So creating is what we do, but I want to propose in culture is what we create. So when you have, so in a nutshell, as, as, as we're making more image bearers and we're creating and doing things, what happens is we begin to create something. I want to propose that what we all begin to create is a culture, is a way of living and having our being, okay? And so I want to propose out of creating, uh, we develop a culture. I'm sorry. Oh, man. There we go. 
So here's what happens. God creates from abundance, okay? Then humans, we, what we do is we receive the creation mandate. He creates us, and he says, I'm so cool. I want to create people who can do what I do. I'm going to chill back, and I'm going I'm I'm to, you guys are going to do what I do, okay? And it's going to bring me glory because you're going to be worshiping me in that way. And then what happens is the good fruit comes out before the fall because it's born from human, uh, which is born from human rule and stewardship, Okay. The fruit is that we're stewarding the world well, and we're also birthing image bearers. We're, making, we're reminding God of himself, okay? We're all on the same page so far? All right, so, and we're doing that with all the animals and all this stuff. So imagine everything under the earth, God is saying, that's yours to help, to help remind me of myself, okay? All right. So then a fall happens in decreation in Genesis 3, okay? So then man, what man does is we have the audacity to think we're our own guys and we sin against the Lord, right? And so now, I mean, all of, all of humanity, all of creation is decimated, okay? Uh, it's not totally um, downtrodden, but it's, it's like absolutely marred, okay? So now we have this issue of good, bad, split. Sin has entered the world. Uh, we are evil by nature, uh, we, the Bible says that we ha- we, the only things we can do is produce evil. Uh, that's, our, that's our inclination as men now. And so all of a sudden, that, uh, that mandate has now been, been, been extremely flawed and marred, okay? And so culture is absolutely affected and dismantled, okay? Remember, the thing that, the, the, the thing that we create now is, is, in essence, decreation. We just destroy, Okay? Now, remember, but culture is the outworking of the human heart, okay? So if culture is the outworking of the human heart, the, 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 the way we do life as people is the outworking of, what, of who we are, basically, right, is, is that culture is a reflection of our human heart. It's not that you have culture here and then culture affects the human heart. I want to propose that the Bible actually says something very different and tells on you and me. The world wants you to think that if you're in this bad culture environment, then you become bad. I want to propose that the culture is bad because we're bad. So that basically the culture is affected because we're jacked up, and so the only thing we can produce is evil and badness. Okay? So culture is the outworking of the human heart. But remember, before the fall, uh, the culture was awesome, and the outworking was worship, right? But now because of the fall, the outworking is affected and dismantled. So we create the culture, and it is a reflection of our human heart. Very important as we continue on to understand why we are in the book of Proverbs or why we read the canon for that matter. So uh, a, a cool quote, well, it's a, uh, we are angels. Thomas Merton says, he was a mystic back in the day. He says, we are angels and demons wrapped in meat. Because of the fall, we're angels and demons and then just wrapped in meat. You, that, that's, you know, isn't that crazy? Do you think of yourself like that jacked up and evil and messed up without the gospel? Right? Well, I want to propose that's, that's you. If you, and in the reality, as a redeemed person, I mean, we get, we get to understand that that's our old nature, but man, to understand that you're not a believer, you don't love Jesus right now, like, that's what you are. Um, let, me, let me explain that a little more. So there's this aspect that what's, what's happening in you and what's happening in all of us is that you still have the good and the bad split. I don't know if you ever heard of that, the whole good-bad split thing. So here's what's happened. Because God is so good, and even in our sin, God didn't totally just allow us to enter total destruction. He said, because you're created in my image, there's still some good in you. You still possess God's image, although it's marred and jacked up and flawed. 
because of the fall. So that's, the, that's that common grace that God has given us as his people, as, as just created people, okay? He's given us that common grace to steal. And that's why you have, you know, uh, people think, well, but I, I don't love Jesus, but I still do good. I'm going, because God is gracious, not because you're good. That God still allows, he still allows evil people to do good things because you're created by a good God. That's called common grace. That means God has given that grace, that unmerited favor to everybody. So we all get that. But then what happens is because the bad in us, we have the sin and the fall. And so we are evil by nature, even in the midst of us. So we're kind of like schizophrenics. Even in the midst of us being able to do some good things, actually at the end, we always end up decreating. And that's why, and that's why the, the world would just never, and that's why it would never just get increasingly better. I propose to you. I propose that that, that theology is flawed because I feel like it doesn't understand total depravity. It doesn't understand that doctrine, that no, evil people are not going to just get progressively good. Okay? We're still on the same page? Now, now hear hear this, okay, because if you you miss this or you act like you got it, but you're sticking it to somewhere else, it's going to mess everything up as we get into the Proverbs, okay? And I've been working hard, so I want you to really get Proverbs. I'm just joking. So, just joking. So, we go on, right? So, you have the fall into creation. So, the question is, what are we creating? I want to propose a destructive culture. So now, because of the fall, what we create, and this is sort of giving us a play-by-play of history real quick, we create a destructive culture. And now the question is, um, I want to talk real quick, and there's a ton of ways to see a destructive culture, okay? Uh, but I, just wanna, I was just, I was just uh, looking, uh, listening to the talks, and then looking, uh, been re- we've been reading through the Bible, uh, the guys that I decided for myself, and we hit Isaiah and Jeremiah. Interesting passage in Isaiah, I think it talks about, uh, thanks, Dad, it talks about, uh, it, uh, the Israelites are sinning against God, and God is so frustrated with all their sin, and he's like, hey, you know what? I'm so frustrated. Uh, I'm going to judge you guys, and here's what it's going to look like. Here's what I've been trying to bless you. I've been trying to protect you in the midst of your sinfulness, but right now what I'm going to allow ha- to have happen to you um, and what, you get, what I'm going to give you over to, they were already doing, I'm going to give you over to some things that's going to allow you to be a destructive culture, as it were, okay? Okay. Um, and so I want to propose there's three aspects that, that if you see this, I'm proposing you're either in the midst of or on your way to a disruptive culture. The first one, I think the youth taking the lead, all right? When the youth is leading the culture, when youth are running things, I'm proposing you're either on your way to or you will be a disruptive culture. And that's why I'm very, I get very nervous when I see, and, in our, and I want to propose in our day and age, that's what we do. We, we, we worship the youth. Uh, and I want to propose that's, ve- that's, that's, ve- that's, that's, the, that's folly. That's not wise. And don't believe me. Let's look at the scriptures. Um, it says here, this, this, is, this, is, this is the Lord talking, right? He's saying, and he makes, he, does, he makes this as a bad thing. And I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. That's not a good thing. His point there is that you're so jacked up. What I'm going to do, I'm going to have boys ruling over you that the youth are going to be running things, and that's not wise. And we see that in our day and age where, and you think about in our day and age now, I'm blown away at when I grew up, <clears throat> there was a certain respect for, for older people. And, and now I'm, I'm telling you, man, like I, I talk to people, and it's almost, I mean, I've been, in, I've been with church leaders, and the way we talk about old pe- older people is like, you know, I can't minister, I don't want to minister to old people because da-da-da-da-da, I want to focus on the youth. 
And, and it's almost like we just shun the older people. And I'm just like, man, when I look at the Bible, specifically when we look at Proverbs, we're going to see the total opposite. God is like, no, you know you're a wise culture when you pay attention to those who've had years of experience and you see their wisdom and you look at it and you want it. And that to, to turn a deaf ear to those who are older is actually an exercise of folly. And so, uh, but he, and I tell you, he's saying here, his point is like, man, he goes through, look at, look at uh, Isaiah chapter 3. He goes on and on. He talks about this in different ways, about how the youth are going to do this and they're going to be running this. So I'm proposing taking the lead from, uh, from the youth. And that's what we are. I mean, Justin Bieber running things around here now, you know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, all these, all these, you know, one direction. You know what I'm saying? Like, all these guys. And the, and the question is, like, these guys are, I mean, and what happens is you get wealthy and people, you get all these hits on YouTube, and then they start, because they're youth, they start actually thinking they're wise. Well, I got 200, 200 million people watching my videos. Of course I'm wise. Why would you not be watching my videos? And then they start continuing to develop in culture, and then we start following it like dummies. So I want to propose, if the youth are, are, now check this out, the youth are leading, what happens, I want to propose that youth are not wise yet. Whether you like it or not, I know you might be smart, but the question is, are you wise? That's the question on the table. That's the question that Proverbs is going to answer. And even, even you college students, you, got, you guys got crazy smarts, you don't have as much experience. It just is what it is. At the end of the day, there's stuff that people who are 36 who can teach you things, like me, you know, that you haven't learned yet. And I've seen that over and over again. We've seen that planting this church. I'm blown away at, like, now having time and experience with things. And, and I'm watching the parents like, mm, preach it, Eric, preach it. I know. Because you, right, right, Mr. Shoemaker? I mean, at the end of the day, you've gone through things, and people come to you with the same drama, and you want to help them, but they think, no, they're wiser. And you're blown away because you're like, I've been through that three times, and I failed twice. And you want to help, but they don't want to listen. But I want to propose, if the youth are running things, what happens, I want to propose that the culture actually becomes shallow. And here's why. Uh, because when youth runs things, I want to propose that youth's attention spans are very short. Okay? And so when youth are running things, things have to now become fresh all the time. They have to be novel. Right? It's hard to just have longevity because youth wants something different. Wait, I know you said that last week, but I want something new now. And so when you, have, when you have a culture where the culture is novel and everything has to change all the time, what happens is if you have a destroyed attention span, now you don't, give the, you don't give the process of time to even allow wisdom to happen. Does that make sense? If I'm always having to change and wisdom comes through time and experience, how do I get wise when I never can take time to let it marinate my soul to build up wisdom? I'm proposing that's what we've done in our culture. You think about it. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, for heaven's sake, I've gone to churches like, you know, like, man, you know, we're, we're cutting edge. We're doing all these cool things. I mean, it's to the point now we do church. They don't even know it's church. I'm like, dude, that's weird. It's, they're at church. What makes you, why do you think that's, why do you think that's cool? I'm going off a little bit, but I want you to see. So first I want to propose youth leading is interesting. I think that's happening in our culture. And I think we drank the Kool-Aid in the local church, that we're way more concerned with, with, with good insight and being, and, and being novel versus longevity and being biblical. And I, and I, can I, and I you know, we're a family, so I'm going to keep it real. I've even noticed this, even how we use the Discipleship Foundations binder. Can I just hemorrhage a little bit? 
I'm blown away at how I'm okay when a person says, hey, we've gone through the whole binder. Now we're going to go through this. That's faithfulness. But I've been, I've been shocked at how many of us in our local body here, we've, we have gone through 10, 20%, 30% of the binder, maybe 50% of the binder, and we find ourselves going to another book or something. So the question you've got to ask yourself is, 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 is the things in the binder just unbiblical? Or is there something in your being where you go, well, it just seems weird to have such longevity and to be in something so long. It seems so boring. I got to do something new. Ask yourself that question. What in you, when these are foundational truths of the faith, and guess what? I've read your discipleship surveys. You still don't know the discipleship foundational truths of the faith. Many of us still are ranting and raving. We don't have doctrinal prowess in the foundational truths of the faith. What makes us with great audacity say, I'm going to leave that, and now I'm going to read this book? I want to propose that there might be some stinking thinking in your mind. We don't have to, guys. We don't have to celebrate how the world celebrates. We can say no. Yeah, we went through discipleship foundation binder for two years, but now, man, we are tight in the foundations. And now I can go to this book and that book, and I can go to the scriptures, and now I have a framework of interpreting things accurately. But wisdom takes time. Time's born in the shallow culture. Have we drinking the Kool-Aid? So first one is you've taken the lead, right? That's when you know you're jacked up. Second one is gender wars, right? In our culture, when you start seeing the women saying, I, I want to have the same rights as men, I want to do this, and the men saying, no, you shouldn't be able to do anything, that's what happens, right? We have all these arguments, and this has infiltrated the church. When women are feeling devalued, they feel like they got to fight for their rights. You, I need to, you need to treat me. I need to get paid like you. Da, 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 da. I want to go and be able to go to Iraq and shoot and kill men too and all this stuff. What makes, why, why do women feel like they got to show, like, I'm just as important as you when all we have to do is to say, no, the Bible already said it. You don't have to go do all that stuff. The Bible already said you created an Imago Dei. And we as men, we model that to our wives. We model it to women around us and say, you don't have to fight for equality because you are created in the Im- image of God. You're fully equal. You don't have to fight for that. Sorry about the jerky dudes, but I'm telling you right now, you don't have to fight for that. You're awesome. When we understand that we're supposed to lock arms in unison and have unity and go and fight the fight of faith together in understanding our role distinction versus having the gender wars and, and I'm trying to put you in the headlock because you won't let me lead you and then you don't want to be led because you think you're the leader and you're kicking me when all that's happening. And we can't even be about the kingdom business because we can't even get our role straight. When that happens... I'm proposing you're probably headed toward a destructive culture. Finally, people led astray by poor leadership. And I'm talking specifically in the church, okay? There's poor leadership all around, but specifically the people of God. Here in the text, like the, the, the Lord is saying, man, when the people, when the, when the people that you are listening to, as you allow me to be your pastor by God's grace, and you're listening to me, and then I lead you astray, God says, man, that's going to be a messed up culture. When the very people that you think are supposed to have the biblical foundation supposed to point you to Jesus, and all of a sudden they're telling you the goal of life is to be rich. Or the goal of life is to have yours first. Right? The total antithesis of the gospel. Selflessness and other-centeredness. Jesus. And then we're talking about we got to get ours and have money and we're supposed to never get sick and all this. Are you kidding? 
And in a culture, a whole culture, because of our sinfulness, we buy it as a culture. And then we, as a biblicentric church, we stay mute. And we don't even go out and say, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I know you want to be ecumenical. We want to hold hands and stuff. But they crazy. And we don't even do that. That's when you know a culture is heading down a spiral. Prosperity theology. When women's roles are jacked up. When kids, mere babies, no experience are taking the reins of leadership. So, my whole point there is that God is saying he's created us. He, out of his abundance, doing awesome things. We, we, get, we decreated because of, because of our, our sinfulness. We fall. I want to propose to you, we see it evident in culture because these things are evident even today, may I say? So we see it pragmatically. If you're not a believer here today, I know you can affirm with me that that's true. So basically what's happening, guys, keep, continue to stick with me, guys, okay? God creates from abundance. Humans receive the cultural mandate, but then we have destruction born from sin, okay? What happens is human receives the cultural mandate. We have decreation, right? So now we're not creating. We're decreating. We're decreating culture. We're not creating good culture. And then what happens is then Jesus comes. The beauty of Christ is what he does is he brings in what I propose. We say recreation here. The biblical term that's used is new creation, right? And so now, now hear me here. There, 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 can be some, there, there can be some wrong thinking. When we talk about new creation, especially in, in cities like this and places where we're doing it, we are in our hood and we, we're neighboring and doing our thing, as you, we can start almost thinking that we, as we continue to do work, as we continue to build houses, as we continue to have, you know, cool things happen in our community, that we are actually bringing in new creation. That, that basically new creation is going to happen because we as people are bringing it in. That's not biblical. That's not the position of Mac Ave. I want to make sure you guys understand that, okay? Don't go around telling people Mac Ave said that as you continue to make more houses, we are actually making new creation new. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. What we are doing is we are actually pointing people to what God is going to do in the future. You see that? God brings in new creation as a gift, right? That's what, that's what, that's what, that's what Jesus is going to do. He is going to bring in and allow the heavens and earth to be new creation for us. What we're doing now is we're his agents of new creation. So when people are going, so is that really a promise? And as they're seeing us model the, that, that now and not yet, they're seeing that new kingdom that's going to come and fully infiltrate the world. When they're seeing it now in those who actually have been born of the spirit, newly created, that helps them build hope because they see what God has already done in us and what he's going to do because we are those agents. Does that make sense? We are those agents. So by us building, you got these, you know, we have our mission groups. We have our friendships. We, we're here serving. You're here. You've given up a lot. There's a lot of people in this body. I, I love you guys. You've given up a lot. But see, it's worth it because what God is saying is all that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is new creation. That's Galatians 6. That's what matters. And what's going to happen is as you continue to model buying a home in the hood and we come and we serve and, and we're, we're neighboring and we're doing our thing, and as people see that, we're just saying, hey, what we're, what we're trying to do is model to you and point to you what God is going to do. Hey, uh-oh, and what he's already done, which us, we're some of those fruits. You see that? Okay. All right, so, so what he does is 
In that understanding, God provides recreation and new creation. So he restores us in Jesus because of the cross. And then what's cool is he actually reinstates the cultural mandate. Now you hear me? So he, 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 he saves us, he makes us new. And then what he says is, I'm so cool, I'm going to give you, I'm going to allow you now in your new created status to be that agent and do what I asked you to do before the fall. Okay, and that's what he does in what? Genesis 15, in Genesis 12, in Genesis 9. Okay, we're still on the same page? You see where we're going here? So you had to fall, but then God says, I'm, I'm saving you, I'm making you new, and now I'm wanting you to get back to work. Now, remember what he wants us to do? You remember what he wants us to do? We make image bears. Right? We steward and rule. Right? Okay? Now let's talk through that. Okay. So what does God desire from his people now that we're recreated to recreate? That's not mine. My man J.D. came with that. I thought that was deep. We're recreated to recreate. Okay? So I want to propose he wants us to now develop a counterculture. Okay? Why? Because he didn't just recreate you and me Right? And then say, okay, now everything's perfect again. But he's so, the Lord is awesome that he recreates you and me in the midst of, bag, of, 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 of a more creation. Right? And so he's like, okay, well, you, you're a new creation, but you're in a jacked up creation that I'm going to make new. So what I need you to do in order for you to show people what that looks like, I need you to develop a culture that's distinct from that one because that's not me. But you need to model me. Okay, guys? So what we do is we do, here's what we're doing at Mac Ave. Here's what they're doing at URC. Here's what we're doing at Bowling Green. Here's what we're doing all over the world as all these people are being agents of change for Jesus. Is that at some level, we're doing, when you talk kingdom expansion, I always use the term expanding God's kingdom in times and places, is what we're doing is we are sitting at coffee shops and we're praying and we're worshiping Jesus. And in that place, we're saying God rules here. You see that? In this place, we're saying God rules here. Okay, and, and in, in essence, what we're doing here is this is a counterculture sitting around talking about some dude that died, talking about he rose from the dead. That's a counterculture. That's weird. Okay, unless it's true. Okay, so this is what we're doing. So we're developing a counterculture, and a counterculture is different than a cutting-edge culture. Don't miss that, okay? Now, in churches, a lot of times, the push, and trust me, as a pastor, as your leadership, all the time, people are begging us, be a cutting-edge culture, be a cutting-edge culture. Don't worry about it if it's biblical or not. Be cutting-edge, man. You should have heard some of the stuff that, that we were asked to do when we first started this church. It's crazy. And the reason why I want to propose this is that a cutting-edge culture, a cutting-edge culture imitates what works in dominant culture. That's, that's, what, that's what a cutting-edge culture does many times, okay? We look at the culture around you. You say, man, what's going to allow them to relate to me? And some people have a good, they're, they're really good at providing and seeing a biblical prowess in that. But for the most part, when I see a lot of cats, they do that. And if it's biblical, cool. If there's some biblical rem remnants to it, cool. If not, hey, man, the people are here. Right? That's not... That, that, that's not our disposition. I want to propose that the Bible says something different. Okay, you can be cutting edge. That's cool. And you can be cutting edge and biblical. I'm not tripping on that. I'm just really trying to help us see the distinction, okay? What I'm saying, though, is that the Lord says in Romans 12, he says Christian culture is a culture that imitates Christ. 
Okay, so now that counterculture that we're developing is one that imitates Jesus. Right, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's continue on. So how does this new culture happen? Okay? I want to propose that the Lord provides the Holy Spirit. He gives us grace in that framework. And then what he does, so it's, like, it's cool. It's like God does this. And the way he allows us to participate is through wisdom. You see where I'm going now? That's how we enter to Proverbs. So God says, okay, here's what I want. So I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, right? I'm going to give you my grace. But then what, we gotta, what you got to have as a, as a new believer trying to say, Lord, what is it like for me to model you, to be an image bearer, to remind people of you uh, after the fall? He says, I, I got to give you wisdom. That's why we study the Bible so that we can be faithful to the cultural mandate, the creation mandate, so that we can have wisdom to bear God's image well. You see that? That's why you read. And all that allows us to worship Christ. Okay. What is wisdom? Wise and skillful living, okay? Uh, That's what wisdom is. Now, so now we're here. Now the question becomes, okay, now as we, when we enter into Proverbs, okay, we're going to go into Proverbs. I want to provide hopefully two snapshots here. here now, now hear me here, guys. I want to say for, in order for one to possess true wisdom and to therefore be an agent of transformation, the, the assumption in the Scripture, there's a couple of assumptions that one must be transformed, okay? You must be born again. God must be doing something in your heart. He must provide a heart transfer. Uh, and then I'm going to propose that there's two aspects, I want to say, uh, tools uh, to transformation. Okay, now hear me here. This is, I'm saying, so as we're reading Proverbs, as we're studying books of the Bible, I just want to make this really clear. This is what I've seen. Um, there seems to be two important aspects to you and me actually learning and taking that information and being able to worship Jesus. Um, the first one is spiritual detox. Okay? This is just, this is me as a, I'm just watching the journey, living life, trying to honor Jesus. Okay? Spiritual detox. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> Now stick with me here, okay, guys? I want to propose spiritual detox is the grace to not automatically connect new thoughts or words with old suppositions. Now here's what I mean by that. What happens a lot of times in our Christian formation is we, we become Christians or you're part of a church or whatever, and you have all this stuff in you, okay? And then what happens is you build, you build a philosophy of how you view the Bible, life, People, uh, you know, you name it. You're, you have a framework. You go somewhere else or in your life, you, you, you live with that framework. I'm proposing it's hard for you to go through detox and to continue to grow in biblical maturity when you only thing you do is no matter if that framework is good or bad, you connect new information to that framework and you never try to wrestle with if that framework is good, if you're connecting good information or bad information. So let me give you an example. There has been oodles of people who sat in this, in, this, in this auditorium, for example, and they believe in Afrocentrism, right? They believe that basically at some nature that them being uh, African-American, 
uh, or even there's individuals who are, who are super, you know, high middle class come here and they believe that, you know what, I totally, I've been going to a church where they never talk about giving up your, your resources and I can basically uh, not have to ever worry about like if I'm worshiping materialism. And so they'll come in here and a whole talk could be about, you know, God saying, hey, you can't love money more than me, right? And because they, they grew up and they went to some church that just basically was like, that was never an issue, they listened to it, but it never even dawns on them that that, that information is trying to challenge them. Or you have a prosperity theology, you know, if someone has prosperity theology just oozing from them, that I'm supposed to get rich. They come here, we'll teach, they'll leave, and that, that prosperity section hasn't been affected at all. But they've taken the good things I've said, and they, they put them in there, but they've been able to take out all the stuff that, that disagrees with their formation. Do that make sense? We all do it. Well, you sit here, and, I, and I've seen it because I know many of you have come from churches, some good, some bad. You come here, you've been here two years, and hear me here, this is a pastoral time. I want to just be honest with you. You've been here two years, three years, four years, and you still haven't changed. And I know some of your churches. And I'm going, how have you been in this body with these people still saying the same things you said three years ago? Now, that might be hard. You're like, man, what are you trying to do? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do work, man. I'm trying to be honest. Can we grow? I don't get that. I don't get how you're going to come from, and I, I'm not going to put churches on blast. How are you going to come from some places and not wrestle with, okay, here's what I thought about salvation. Here's what I thought about my resources. They're saying something different. Either they're telling the truth or they're lying. If they're lying, I probably shouldn't be in this community. <laughs> if they're telling the truth, I probably should repent. I don't know why, why that isn't happening. Ask ourselves, are we still saying the same jargon, the same Bible babble, my professor used to call it, where you keep talking about Jesus and so something comes out that sounds remotely biblical? Or are we going to be honest and say, okay, I, I want to propose to you the hardest thing, the hardest thing, the reason why this is hard, because I'm proposing this strikes right at the heart of all of our pride. Because guess I want to propose the best way you learn is when you admit you don't know something. Is when you can admit and say, man, I've been going to church for seven years. I've led five small groups, and I never understood the resurrection. And you sit there, well, we do, and I've done it. You've, we play the game. We're leaders. We got competence. People think you're off the chain. You hear somebody teaching the resurrection. In your mind, you know you never knew that. But you're like, oh, yeah, I knew that. Okay, now I know it. Okay, don't let nobody else know. Let's quit playing those games. Why do we play those games? Why can't we just say, man, I want to grow. I don't know this. I think I know this. Is that right? No? Okay, let me renew my mind. Okay. Let's grow. And I've seen it. Can I even put Mike, can I put you on blast real quick, man, about this Mike Fang? Asking you all in public. <laughs> you can't say no now. All right. So, Mike, I feel, he's a, I feel like he was a great example of this, guys. He came here. Had a crazy time in California, very, in, it is deeply rooted in just like super charismatic, all this crazy stuff going on in his journey. Came here, was going to go to another church, came here, said, you know what, I think I'm going to go to another church. He said, man, why don't you stick around? And what I've seen this brother do, very intelligent, wise, but I've seen him humble himself and just say, you know what, 
I was, a, I was one of the main leaders on my campus, leading worship, leading men. And there is a ton of stuff that I had wrong. And said, you know what? Right here, that's just wrong. Let me, what did the Lord say about that? Let me redeem that by Christ's grace. That was jacked up. Let me re- man, I was ministering out of baggage here. Let me repent of that. And man, he has been doing work. And I'm telling you, he's a different man now. And that's just like, I think that's because God's grace, gave, he gave him the grace to say, I want to grow. I want to play games. I he could have he faked it here for two years and looked more spiritual than all y'all. He could have done that. He had the biblical prowess. He had the understanding. He had the worship, the worship ethic. But he was willing to say, it's not about me. It's about me reforming myself so I look more like Christ. So that means if I've known something for 10 years and on year 11 God shows me I've been lying to people for 10 years, I tell them on year 12 I was lying to you. I want to get right. We got to be a body that's willing to do that, guys. We don't need to play that game. Let's be a body that's just so other like that where people come here like, they're doing work, man. They're looking at their baggage. They're looking at their journey, and they're willing to say, I thought this for this long. The Bible says this. Let me go. Let me get right. Some of you guys, man, I'm like, man, why? I look at you, and you know who you are. We got to be willing to do this. This is not to shame anybody. This is not to call anybody out. This should call all of us out. Everybody in here should be going, yup, that's coming, some of me too. And, and, and if, you're not, if you're not thinking that, you've already lost. You're already lost. You're going to play the game. But, man, can you imagine if we would do work here, man? We could do work here if we would just enter into that. So the grace to not automatically connect new thoughts or words with old suppositions and... We need to be able to pause and challenge the new thinking with the old supposition and discern. So that means you get new thinking. Don't just connect it to some cantankerous thinking that you already have and kind of mute it if it, if it didn't go in line and say, I'm going to keep being the way I was. But say, okay, I got new thinking now. Let me look at this. Okay. Now, should it be connected? Was what I had bibliocentric, and this is adding to it? Asking the covenant community, reading your Bible, asking the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit, Going on that journey, right? Should it be connected? Or should the old be thrown out and replaced? Man, I was believing this. Man, the body's saying this. I'm looking at my, I have a new hermeneutic now. I have a new rule of interpretation. Here's what the Bible's saying. Whoa, man, I've got to cry. i got to lament. i got to apologize to some people. But here's what the Bible says about this now. Or do you reject the new? Somebody tells you something. I say something up front here. You hear it. You go, man, love Eric to death. That was unbiblical. I'll, I'll love him still. I'll tell him about it, but I'm not going to receive that because that seems unbiblical. I checked it with the Bible. I checked it with the covenant community. I don't think I rest with where, where Eric is. Dude, if you do the work, I'm straight. You know, even when I jack you up, I'm going to heaven by grace. So it's cool. Be connected. Oh, thrown out because I don't want to jack you up. But I am, I'm messed up. So I hope you don't understand that. You know, so when we're able to do that, guys, I'm telling you, we'll be dangerous Christians. We'll be dangerous, man. Because we're not just taking stuff and just assuming with the arrogance that we get it. And then playing a facade and, and playing these games. But no, we're saying, no, I want to grow. And some of, you, some of us, if we really do this, you will start out as almost like a new believer. You'll say, man, I, I don't know if I get the gospel. And that's okay. Because I'm telling you if, you, if you press in by God's grace, 
you will be a G by God's grace. I mean, I'm just putting people on blast. I just look at some of our people, man. I just watch them as new believers growing up. And I'm like, dang, look at the wisdom and knowledge and, and the humility of some of the people who just came to Christ. You know, I got to put you on blast. I look at Sarah Bowman, man. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. What's that? That's not Sarah. That's Holy Spirit. That's somebody saying, I didn't know anything about the gospel before I got saved. I want to learn the gospel. And now I'm, th- I'm telling you. I mean, you don't want to go up against her on no theology and understand. You want to be in her mad group? I'm telling you. Now, is that the, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about people, guys, because we live in people and places. I'm just trying to keep it real. I'm trying to show you that this is real. This is happening. This is not some top shelf thing, and I'm not trying to uplift somebody or dog anybody. I'm just telling you that by God's grace, God wants to do something in us. Okay, guys? So I want to propose that that's an important tool in transformation. If, you, if we're living in pride and we've just made, fooled ourselves and think, no, I'm tight, man. I got this degree. I do these things. I got to be right. Then I'm telling you, you'll never do this. And you'll jack up the church, man. You'll, you, you'll bring more harm than good. And I've seen that many times. I've seen people who have such awesome things to offer, but because they're so arrogant in so many ways, they bring way more harm than good in the local body here. And it breaks my heart. But I understand it's our ploy. It's where we are. I understand it. It's going to be like that until Jesus comes back. I get it. I'm starting to get it now. So I'm starting to have more fun with my kids. I don't trip. I'm like, yeah, they jacking up the church, past the grits. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but guys, wouldn't it be cool if we went here and we were lamented and looked at ourselves? I know I'm going off, but this is important. Man, if we, if we didn't get anything all year and we got this, man, I'd be a happy pastor. I would be like, wow, man, we, we're doing that work. Deference with each other, receiving repentance and say, oh, yeah, you're right here. Oh, man, I was wrong. Oh, it's okay. We're still committed to each other. I still love the Lord. It's by grace. My status hasn't changed. I'm still awesome in Christ by his grace. Okay, the other thing, guys, and then we're going to go home, is um, so I want to propose, it provides an environment. Just, just, I want to propose, propose that that provides an environment to produce maturity and honesty in our, de- in, in our development thoughts or words with, our, with old suppositions. Excuse me. But I want to propose that that's only talking about knowledge. And what we see in 1 Corinthians 8 is that knowledge is not, it's, it's great to accumulate right thinking. It's very important because I feel like we, we misinform our worship when we have bad thinking. All right, we misinform how we do ecclesia, we misinform everything. So it's important, but knowledge alone is dangerous. As we know, the scriptures talk about knowledge puffs up and love builds up, okay? So with that, I feel like you've got to have another important tool, and that's humility. So with that knowledge, you get that knowledge, now you've got to have humility. And we can't go into it all. You can look at James 3. Um, it's talking about wisdom, and it gives you all these things that wisdom is, right? But when you look at all, if you want to sum it all up, when you look at James 3, you're like, well, what is the one word that you'll sum up all that in? I think you would have to wrestle with maybe love and humility. One of those words, love or humility, right? Uh, that, that, that that's so important to not have that uh, there's no way that we can continue to complete that circle of worship to Christ. Um, so I'm going to propose another important trait of wisdom um, is manifested in James 3. You can write that down. Now let's talk about wisdom. Wisdom, um, uh, I don't know what that little C is there. Uh, <laughs> I want to propose. <laughs> what's, what's that? Kristen Egger. Is that, is that a French C, sis? Uh, wisdom, 
For some reason, my, my, my thing isn't working. Wisdom is experience in life. So I want to propose, um, and, and I want to propose that you have humility, okay? Uh, it's very important. But I want to propose that, that, that even with uh, wisdom and getting wisdom, I want to propose there's one. Okay, keep, just take it over, bro. Okay, you need to go back. I didn't say any of that. Okay, so you have wisdom and experience in life, right? Okay, now let me take it. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, so you have wisdom is, 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 uh, is, is basically wise and skillful living that comes from experience, okay? All right, now, I want to propose, though, that there's one, there's one tidbit of wisdom uh, that, that the Bible talks about, uh, but a lot of times when we think of wise and skillful living, we think we, all, we always have to go through experience. But this is where I think it's very important to understand um, our elderly in the role of gaining wisdom. Because what the elderly provides is that wisdom usually comes um, through these things. Is that, and we've seen it, right? Uh, if you have a kid, um, you know, you have kids, right? When you, before you had kids, you thought you knew how to raise kids, right? You, I mean, you know, and I, I see some of you guys, and it's cool, it's cool, but people with no kids always have opinions and always think they know how to raise kids, right? And they do. And they, you know, oh, well, you know, when I get my kids, you know, boom, 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 boom. Okay. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm reading these books, you know, and it's going to be great, right? And then you have a kid. And, and, and well, I love watching people who have kids. Look at, look at Matthew back there. There is a humility that comes with that, right, bro? I mean, you up all night, you know what I'm saying? Right, Kelsey? Yeah, you know, we, and we kind of tight. You know, we think we, we know what we're doing. And then you have this kid, and they won't stop crying, and you're like, the books aren't working. They said people stop crying after 20 minutes. What's the problem, right? And those things happen. Well, what's happened there is you've had a lot of knowledge, but you don't have wisdom. You see, and you can't, you can't, you can't mis- misinterpret the two. Okay, so, but what happens with wisdom is it comes when you have errors and mistakes and failures, Right? What wisdom does, it builds humility because you've had, you've had failures and mistakes and sin. And when you have that, now you have perspective. So now you're not so quick to spot off what you would do because you know it's harder than it looks. And so what wisdom does, so, so wisdom usually it takes a lot of pain and, 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 and it takes the journey. But here's where old people come in, okay, guys? Now, I can say that because I'm 36, and I'm, like, a lot older than you guys now. And I'm, I'm realizing that. I'm like, man, you know, it's, but I'm young compared to all the people that we can learn from, okay? Check this out. I want to propose to you that what, what, what older saints do is they offer wisdom without the pain of experience, okay? And that's what, see, see the thing, what makes us so, like, the word is folly in the Bible, but what, it, what folly is is what makes us so stupid is is when we don't understand that God is saying, I give you older people so that you can gain wisdom without the failure. You see that? Where you can actually gain wise and skillful living by listening to those who've already had the failures. And they say, guess what? You don't have to do that. And I've seen this practically. We are going to buy the building right next to my house, okay? We come in. It's a 1,600-seat building. Totally not our deal. It's not who we are. We want to plant churches and just keep planting churches, right, and, and being on mission. And, uh, but we were excited. You know, our eyes got big. It was, like, really cheap. We thought we can get it for free, da, 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 all the stuff. And you know what? Matthew came in and was just like, guys, I hear you. It sounds good on paper, but I've been through one, two, uh, I don't know how many, three, build, three building projects. I've seen churches split over this stuff. I've seen, da, 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 da. We don't need this at this stage. Yes, sis. 
They can offer. What am I, oh, that's good. So they offer knowledge. But if we apply it, it becomes wisdom. If we apply what they tell us, like, see, like, I could have bought that. We could have bought that building. And then I would have had to experience wisdom through the pain of what we'll probably have gone through that, from that building. But because of that, because of his knowledge, because of his wisdom, as it were, he gave me the knowledge, and as I applied his knowledge, now I have wisdom, and I was able to make a wise decision based on his wisdom. You see that? And so what older individuals, so thank you for that distinction, what older individuals provide for us who love Jesus is an opportunity to not have to take all the lumps on our head. We'll still take lumps, but we don't have to take so many. Because people are before us, and they're saying, I've done it already. Let me continue on, just for the sake of of time. So that's the goal, guys. The goal of Proverbs is helping us gain wisdom that we might be faithful in making a world that is different than the world in which we live. Right? That as we read the scriptures, that we're trying to ask the Lord, would you allow us to have a counterculture where it points to Christ and not the destruction of the world? It points to new creation, not old creation. The goal is a Jesus-glorifying culture that we, we honor Christ as we live life and have our being, guys. A culture that's not confused about God, his word, and confused about his world. By a counterculture, we want to make those things clear to people. We can do that. We, can, we have hope. We have purpose. We understand why uh, God gives us the Bible. We understand why God gives us the world. Some people are recycling because they just want to protect Mother Earth. We get why we recycle, why we do those things, because we're stewards of the earth. It's another journey. That raises, the, see, that's, that, that raises it up on another level. You see that? Is there anything else? A culture that models clarity and purpose celebrates rather objectifies. I'm proposing that what the world does is objectifies people, even as we look at women-men relationships. Our, we want to celebrate a culture that has hope. That's that's us. This is what we're trying to develop, a culture where we're saying, no, there's hope, not despair. We, we understand what Jesus has done, so we have hope in the midst of a messed up, jacked up culture. We want to provide a culture that has a respect for God's word and his rule. This is our attempt. When you read the Bible, uh, God is wanting you to bring honor and glory to him by, by worshiping him. And one of the ways we worship him is by fulfilling that creative mandate that he's given us before and after the fall. And that's what we're about. As we enter the Proverbs, when we're gaining wisdom, it's not just to be smarter. It's so that we can provide a counterculture so the world can see clearly who Jesus is. That's what we'll be doing for the next year or so. All right, guys? And my prayer is that we need those two aspects of transformation to be flowing from us. We need to understand the creative story, first of all, that motivates why we do what we do as we're in the Word. And then my prayer is that you and I will learn to go through spiritual detox and we will do it with humility. All right, guys? Let's worship the Lord. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then we're going to uh, have tithe and offering. Uh, I want to encourage you guys. Um, if you're new here, keep your wallets and your purses to your side. That's not our deal. Um, we don't want your money. This is, this is worship for us. If you want to continue, uh, and you understand as a, as a MacAver, this is worship. But